All right, young people, you see this badge is going on. So you're going to pay special attention today. And remember, one of the slides is going to have one of your answers. So do the best you can to fill out that sheet today, all right? And what I'm going to do is when you bring that sheet to me at the door, I'm going to tell you to stay by until everybody's greeted, and I will have some prizes for you in my office right over here, okay? Let's have an added word of prayer. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful that we can come, we can look at the newness of life and how that newness that began our world can continue to dwell in our lives. Guide us to experience it. Guide us to share this life with those around us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there I was in June of 2006. You guys remember, remember where you were at that time of year? I was down near Barron Springs, Michigan. In fact, that's where I lived at. And my wife's water broke, and so off we were to South Bend, Indiana. And I don't remember if it was this hospital or another one. Uh, my wife and I couldn't quite remember which one it was. We knew it wasn't the St. Joseph's, but at any rate, we were off to the, to the hospital there, and we had had our birthing plan all figured out. We, had, we thought we had everything figured out, our first child, right? And we were going to do things right. <laughs> everything was going to go smoothly. But as you know, sometimes things don't go so smoothly. It seemed like, since it was a full moon, that almost everybody was having a child that night. And the nursing staff was fewer as far as the number that we expected. Our midwife was doing the best that she could. But you know what? In those moments, a dad's got to do what a dad's got to do. So I just started helping in whatever way I could. If she needed orange juice, I'd go get orange juice. If she needed this or that, or if they needed towels or whatever, there I was running around, and I found myself finally sitting down, feeling exhausted, thinking, man, and we're not even done yet. <laughs> At any rate, it continued from that supper time all the way down into the next morning with the pit not quite doing its job and causing more pain. And finally, she, she had an epidural, and it just continued to progress. And there I was in this, this whole experience, thinking to myself the whole time, wow, is this how exhausting it's supposed to be? When is it going to be over with? And finally, they brought in Dr. Succo, and I call him that because, because I, I thought in my logical man mind that, you know, if this baby's not coming out, then they need to halt the progression because the baby was coming right out and almost out, right? Just halt the progression, hold it right there, and, and give her one more push and, and be over with, right? That would be it. Simple. Don't they have a tool for that? You know? <laughs> well, here comes Dr. Succo in, right? I don't even remember his name. And he's got a tool for that, all right? And he just takes and puts it on and pulls the baby right out. And at first I was a little bit irritated, but then there was my little boy there, you know, coming out. Wasn't quite as clean as that when he came out, but as I thought about it, I thought, wow, I'm a father. I'm a father. And that question about why was I going through this and why was she going through it, I mean, it really faded. Does, doesn't it really fade at that point? It really doesn't matter anymore because here's a new life right there. And the reality hits you that now I am responsible for this new life to influence this little boy to grow up to be the boy and the young man and the godly man that God wants him to be. Finally, it was over with. She was resting, I was resting. Eventually, we brought the baby home. We named him Mitchell. The emails all went out with this picture. In fact, they took this picture and they posted it in the seminary little newsletter. Here's Mitchell Allen 
Miller. But you know, as I thought about that, I'm not the only one who questions things, am I? Nobody else ever asked the question, why do we have children anyway? You know, a lot of us, a lot of us, thank you, Ron, a lot of us question different things. But when it comes to this subject, am I the only one who's ever said, why did we have children anyway? A couple know you're nots out there. Yeah. Well, some people say that we have children because it's the survival of the fittest and the survival of the species. That's why we naturally have children. I don't know about that. Or some who say, well, we really shouldn't have children because they're overpopulated. Anyway, I had one well-meaning person come to me and say, uh, you know, the Lord's coming. We, there's too many children anyway. Weren't they just doing that second one right there? There's too many, the world's overpopulated anyway. And some say that's just the way we are as humans. We naturally just have children. But if you are a parent, or have been a parent, or have been around children, or have had a meaningful relationship with somebody other than yourself, you know the answer to that question. Why do we have children? Why do we have newness of life? It's because, it's because there's something special about a new relationship. There's something special about a newness of life. There's something special about being in a loving relationship with someone, whether it's a friend, family member, spouse, doesn't matter, child, to have that little child look into my face and trust me. There's something special about it. And I know the world's, a lot of people in the world are thinking about resurrection and Easter and all this this week, and I'm thinking about newness of life. And that newness can happen to each one of us. Last time we looked at how in, in Jesus' prayer in John 17, how he prayed that we would all be one, even as he was one. That that desire had actually echoed down from creation. Jesus said that he had this glory before the foundation of the world. And we know that that prayer was preserved in John 17, but that whole bunch of history leading up to that prayer is preserved in that written record we call the Bible. Lots of different ways that God has communicated with us, but he has communicated with us, with us in a profound way through the Bible, and that question, why create, why have newness of life, is answered right from the Bible. In 1 John chapter 4, it says that God is love. That's the simple answer as to why God creates. It's just who he is. And if you've been in a meaningful relationship, one that has been positive. I know there's a lot of negative ones. Then you know if love is the foundation of that relationship, it's a very strong, meaningful, deep relationship. And if you haven't been in a relationship like with, with, with someone like that, then I'm telling you that God himself offers that relationship. His foundation of who he is, his government, is love, choosing of the other, choosing to put yourself, just like any parent does when a child is born, through all of that pain, through all of that, and who knows what kind of heartache is going to come later on in life when different choices are made. Put yourself through all of that. Why? Because of love. And so love desires a relationship. And we learned this week about a little planet, right, that was way, way out there somewhere yonder. I forgot how many light years away, but it, I, just, I did the math. I thought, man, you know, how could we humanly ever reach it? 11 light years. <laughs> well, and it, it, it mentioned how many million miles that was. Wow, trillion miles. And yet, 
God of the universe crosses space and time and comes to each one of us because he desires a relationship with each one of us. And so the Bible begins by God seeking to establish a new relationship, one in which a loving God wants to extend his love beyond himself, and he parents our world. And so I'm going to go with you to Genesis chapter 1, and I know that some of you will say, yeah, I've been there before. That's fine if you've been there before. Some of you may be visiting with us, and you may need to hear this for the first time. Some of you may have heard this over and over again. That's fine. But I'm laying a foundation here, and I'm showing that in the beginning, there was oneness. There was this unity. And then we're going to see through the pages of the Bible, down through history, how that was shattered and how God keeps trying to reestablish it from the beginning of our history all the way down to the end. And so the prayer of Jesus is nothing new. It's just a response to the shattering of oneness. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. You know this, right? And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And so we look at this text there, and some people say, well, it could be in a beginning. In other words, the world's not the first planet. And, and I can see that. You know, in Job, we find that, that there are other beings that were, were appearing there with Satan, right? We don't, we don't know exactly where they're from. We know that there are planets out there in astronomy class. They taught that they're quite a bit older than our world, okay? So there have been, who, who is the one that was way back there when everything began? We know it's God, right? But he comes to our world, and this is a new beginning. That's why some people say, in a beginning, this new beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, the sky, our planet. And we know it's without form, which means then it needs to be filled, it's void of life, which means now it's going to have to have the Creator's involvement to fill it. You know, I always wonder myself, look at Jupiter, for instance. Is that one of those, those void and empty worlds out there with gas and all this stuff? There's no way humans can live there unless God does something with it. That's why we go on past it and try to find other planets out there, because we know that in and of ourselves we can do nothing with that world. But God comes to a place that's formless, without life, that's void. Water planet. And who is going to make something of that? Can we find ourselves, humanly speaking, pumping all the water out of a water world and making land? I mean, it's just humanly impossible. But God comes, and he comes to a world like that, and he just speaks. And newness of life takes place in this water world. And so, some point out a series of deficiencies. We know it's without form, void of life, or empty. It's dark. There's water covering the planet. These deficiencies, one by one, if you want to call them deficiencies, I don't think God makes any bad material, but if you want to call them deficiencies when it comes to the world as we know it now, then yes, God's going to take care of them one by one in a way that we can never take care of them. And so in day one, it says that there was light and it was good. And of course, we have evening and morning. He speaks, light comes, and some people like to explain this in some weird way of saying, oh, you know, God was just, there was this nebula, right? And God was, uh, the sun was behind it, and that's where the light came from. No, we don't even have to go there. Look at the Bible. It says fair, very clearly that God himself is so bright in Revelation 21 and 22 that the sun is not needed there in the city. Well, we know in the beginning the sun and the moon were there. If that was a good, perfect creation, more than likely they're there at the, the new beginning that we have when the world's made new, but we don't even need them in this city because of God's brightness. And humanly speaking, 
Do we need a nebula to, with the sun behind it to light up our garage and work in the shop? If we can somehow harness electricity and these different other elements of technology and do so much with it, how much more the one who made us? But we don't need to put God in this little box and say, well, he had to have the sun there to have light. He himself is light. And we know the daily cycle begins with darkness. It says evening and morning. And this is, uh, this is a whole other subject in and of itself, but to prove that it's 24-hour periods, it's very simple. When it says that there was flood waters upon the world for a number of days, we take that literally, right? Okay, a number and the number of, and in the days beside it there, we take it literally. Here you have yom, the word for day, and a number sitting beside it. Do we take it literally? Yes, we take it literally. Plus the idea of evening and morning. Not long periods of time or day for a year or a day for a thousand years. No, it's evening, morning, day one. The same type of numbering system that is used in genealogies. Genealogies that tell you the number of days or the number of years somebody lived or an event occurred, 24-hour days, and that light is good. Light is good. And anybody who's had a dark situation in their lives knows that light is good. There's a change. There's something that's brought new hope. And so God speaks, and his words are powerful. And now, my FBI students, you have one of your answers up on the screen. You have to look this one up, adults. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And young people just mark down Hebrews 11, 1 to 2. Mitchell and Micah, you guys got your paper there? You going to write it down? All right. If you need to sit up in the front row, if Boo's being loud, come up here, okay? Hebrews chapter 11, 1 to 2. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I wasn't there, you weren't there, but we believe it happened, right? This is what the ancients were commended for. And you go on down there and it talks about how faith, they understood these different things. And down in verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you've got a problem with me giving those kids a reward for following along in the sermon time, take it up with God. I mean, that's all there is to it. These kids need to be able to feel involved in your worship service. He's going to reward you anyway, isn't he, for earnestly seeking him? So our young people, why shouldn't they have some kind of incentive? They shouldn't have to have an incentive, but if they need that, then I'm going to provide it for them. All it is is a little scripture pen anyway, this time. And so God says that we understand these things. We hope, even though we don't see the, we've never seen Jesus come the first time, we, do, we hope that he's coming a second time. We live by faith just as much as they do. In Psalm 33, 9, it says, he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And so there's our world. He speaks, there's light, there's life, and it continues on. God says, let there be an expanse in the middle of the waters, Genesis 1. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And you have probably heard all kinds of different theories on this. I'm not going to go into them. It's pretty clear, though. It seems like there's water below and there's water above. Nothing like we've ever seen. Could that be what helped moderate the temperature? We know, according to plate tectonics, these 
these continents that we are on are still shifting and moving. That's why we've got earthquakes and different things going on. There's still subduction taking place. There's a lot of things happening that are results of, of the flood, but before the flood, you know, we find that it talks about seed time and harvest, summer and winter, hot and cold. It's, it's almost like Moses is telling us we have these extremes now, but we didn't have them before. Water used to come up from the ground, used to water things. We used to have a, a water layer over this world here. And yes, Moses could say, I've been in the school of Egypt. I know the science, but I know how it was made. It was perfect. Perfect enough where plants are growing humongous amounts of fruit, even still in the land of Canaan. By the time Joshua and them get there, huge clusters of grapes. Imagine what it was like in a perfect world where the water was above, keeping the temperature where it needed to be instead of these extremes that we have today. And so in those type, of temperature, those type of temperatures, land and plants emerge. God says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered to one place, let dry land appear. I mean, if you've been up buckhorn any time in the past, you know that moving land is a huge job. And all God has to do is speak, and the water begins to move, and the land begins to come up. And that's a huge amount, that's a huge feat that we can never accomplish. I know we keep pumping water away from these towns that we built, uh, port cities and all of that in the Mediterranean. They still have to pump water away from them and get them to get that because they're going to be flooded eventually. And some towns are even sinking. But God just speaks and things move. Can you speak and the barriers in your life move? Things that you face move? It's pretty clear. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can do it today. Let the earth bring forth tender sprouts, the herb seeding seed, the fruit tree producing fruit. I remember I was at Turtle Bay yesterday, and there I was on this little trail, and I know it's man-made and all of that, but having a nice leisurely day off. And I thought to myself, looking up, the, up these cottonwood trees, wow, I mean. And then it hit me, the simple question from this text. Why is it that these trees just keep they, it's like they know it's, you can plant them there and all that, but they, they go right in the right climate. They're right in the right place. These cottonwood trees are right there, and they're these huge, giant trees. And, and so I asked my boys, I said, so why are those trees here? And, of course, they're pretty astute students, and it's God, right? But think about it. It's because those trees have within them life. I mean, they continually, seeds continually to be scattered everywhere, and all you've got to do is watch an interesting documentary out there. There's lots of them about how seeds are like, some of the seeds are like little helicopters flying here and there, and others are like paratroops going here and there. It's amazing. And yet, things that we think are humanly amazing feats, God just does by speaking once again. These plants continue to produce and spread, and it was so. And the earth brought forth tender sprouts, the herb yielding seed. God saw that it was good. I mean, yeah, we think it's good when we get these little drones flying up there with Amazon packages or something. But here's God. He's got all of these trees and plants and everything, and, and they're going to continue to spread around the world year after year, even in a sinful world, even in when evil enters our world. You still can't hinder what God has put within those plants. And if you try, well, you, you know what happens when you're digging in the ground and you find tree roots and there they are going towards your septic or something. I mean, these things are just, these trees just look for any way to continue on doing what God has designed them to do. No wonder in the steps to Christ, it says from every budding leaf. I mean, we have this idea that God is love. 
So God saw it was good. This is the second time it's mentioned. Why is it good? Life. Light is created and it's good. Life is good. And so look at this, for instance. What would our world be like if we just had the concrete? You know, I went to class <coughs> for a period of time down at Riverside, and I thought, man, I'm just tired of all this concrete. Yeah, there's some plants here and there, but, but here I was in the Black Hills years ago, and, and we were driving all, and, and if you've driven on the Needle Spires Road there in the Black Hills, you know kind of what it's like. I mean, you get these hairpin turns over and over again. So you're focused on that road, but, but all someone has to do is nudge you and say, look up. A whole lot more glorious than that. I mean, there's that road down there. But look what's all around it, these fall colors. Humanly, we are like focused on these type of things. God has made so much more. What is the world like without the beauty that he has? The concrete jungle. And then we go to the heavenly bodies. doesn't name them. It just says greater light to rule the day, smaller light to rule the night. Why? We know Moses come out of Egypt more than likely did not want to give any credit to their gods. So it says a greater light, lesser light. And notice, he made the greater light to rule the day, the smaller light to rule the night, and the stars also. Some people say, well, that means that he made the stars that exact day. I'm not going to argue with things about, about things like this, but I do know what the Hebrew does talk about. God does see that it's good, and it says, and the stars also, which can be translated this way. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night with the stars. Why? Does it make a difference? It really doesn't make a difference to me because it's the same creator. He could speak them all at the same time he made our son. I, I wouldn't bother me at all. But if for some reason he told me later on that the, those stars have been out there a little bit longer, it wouldn't bother me either because the Hebrew could go either way. It could say that there is the moon and the sun, and he put them up there to rule along with the stars that had already been there. It doesn't bother me either way. And don't give me that thing that our world's billions of years old and all that. It's just not there. And so the stars were there ruling. We know they were up there shining. And the word and is a conjunction can be used the idea of with. And so it joins. The main point here isn't the timing. The main point here is the ruling. Begins to rule with the stars. Now this you can hardly see. Is there a way we can darken this light here? First of all, I sweat under this light. Second of all, it's kind of hard to see that. I don't know if we can pick it up any better. But if you can imagine a moonlit night over an ocean in southern Oregon, this is what's going on here. There I was in the middle of the night. It was, it was Friday night. I'm getting ready to go to Coquille Church to preach there on vacation. And as I'm getting ready to, I just have this sense, I need to get up and go look at the ocean. And I get up and the moon is right up there and it's right over the top of the ocean and it's amazing because you've got clouds in the sky, the moon's shining there, the ocean's down there, and it leaves you feeling like, wow. Is that why I got up tonight, Lord, was to see the moon? No. It's to see the fact that you are good. This is a beautiful scene that you woke me up to see, and I praise you for it. And so the moon and the stars are all to point us to the Savior who made everything for us. And we get to the bird and sea creatures. We find that there are all kinds of them. They have this living soul, this breath in them. And I don't need to go off onto uh, this whole idea of Earth Day and all of that and taking care of our world. I'm not even going to go there. But here we find it's very clear that these little critters that are around us, look at them. They're good. They're blessed. They're told to be fruitful and fill. In other words, that the world's not going to be empty anymore. The world. Who else does he say is very good, these blessings. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and he says, fill the world. Us. How we treat creation 
in a way, is a reflection of how we view the Creator. They had these chickens down in Chico. They were going to try to find homes for them. And you know how they do in these, these egg-producing places where they chop their bills off and they stick them in these little compartments and all of that. And here were all these chickens, and my little boy loves chickens, and it's like, how can I not adopt six of them or something, you know? But then how would they react with my chickens and all of this? My chickens have never known the cage like that. My chickens have, have run around. They'll eat out of your hand. You can hold them. You can pet them. You can, and sometimes you've got to run after them and catch them. But you can, they're your friend. I mean, how do we treat these little guys? I've grown softer over the years, and sometimes I have some more softening to do. But do I see the creatures around me as, as God sees them? Suffering and groaning and moaning and Somehow I need to relieve that. Thought, well, I can start by not eating the eggs bought in the store. I'm going to have my own eggs. You know? those, little, those little creatures under my protection are going to, to know what it's like to have a little boy love them. You know, and have someone feed them out of their hand. And, and to bring maybe even stuff right fresh out of the garden to them. You know? These little guys are going to know within my sphere of influence that I do value them. Yeah, I eat their eggs too, but I do value them. And so we find this value that God places on our creatures all around us there. And look at this one here. This little creature here, you can barely see it. There's a salmon jumping up over near uh, the fish ladder there. And I thought to myself, man, you know, this guy didn't have a chance. You know, he's, they, they, they made these ladders in such a way that he's going to get this far and he's going to have to be funneled into this killing machine over here, you know. But he keeps fighting. He keeps going. He keeps, wow, lots of creatures like that. And then we go on to the land animals, not only the ones in the sea and the ones that are in the air, but... These creatures all around us that we see, lots of unique ones. Look at this little guy here. I mean, this was with a zoom lens, and, and this is in South Dakota, Black Hills. My twin brother's there, so I, I was looking through my pictures, and I thought, ah, I'm going to put one of those up to remind me of my brother. And so there this little guy is there. And yeah, he's a nuisance. He digs all kinds of holes, especially when the ranchers land and all of that. But here he is in this, his own state park, you know, doing his thing in the state park there. And so he's okay. He was on my land. I don't know if I would let him dig all the holes and let my foot fall on him all the time, but I might end up shooting the guy. I don't know what I would do. You guys don't even let people live trap these guys and relocate them in California. You know it's against the law to do that? I was going to live trap some ground squirrels, and I read on the Internet, it's against the law to live trap them and move them somewhere else. So what am I forced to do? Put up with them or shoot them or something, you know? you got another alternative, let me know. But ground squirrels prairie dogs. Look at this little squirrel there. I mean, this little guy there was sitting right there on the rock. I was sitting there hiking around in nature, and this little guy hops up on the rock there, picks up a little, I don't know what he's eating there, some little nut looks like, and there he is eating there, just nibbling along the way there. Doesn't your heart soften when you see the things around you? If it doesn't, if you think it's just a nuisance, there's some softening that needs to take place. And then here's this one here. These guys come over and eat my fruit trees last year. But this one was up in Wenatchee in his own place doing his own thing, right? So I took this picture. I zoomed in on the zoom lens, and whoosh, there he was, and she was. And it was like, wow, looks like a mule deer or something, doesn't it? I don't know. You guys know some of these things better than I do. But this creature <coughs> helping to do God's will in the ecosystem, all kinds of creatures. And I got picture after picture of these guys there. And so there's these land animals that God has blessed and said to be multiplied. He's told these animals to, be, to multiply and all of that, and then comes along us. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
let them have dominion, and God created man in his image. Notice the plurality there, but also notice the plurality of us. Let them have dominion. It was never meant to be a one-man show. Lucifer's way of governing is not the way. Them. Let them have dominion. It's usually when we do the opposite, where we, where we allow a, a dictator rule or some other thing to come along, that, that, that them is no longer, it's, it's really just him, the one who wants to rule. But here, God said the original order was for us to take care of this world together. Them. <laughs> There's a lot of them in the world. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Some say that means to rape the world. But you know what? Based on the context, mm -mm. it could also mean to lovingly care like you're caring for a plant that's growing. And so, have dominion. Care for it. Plural God. Elohim, you got there. You got the spirit in the next chapter. And I'm not going to get into a whole, we've already talked about some of this before. But then notice the oneness language here. The oneness language. Oneness in creation, where it says, in the beginning, God created. The Spirit of God moved. You find, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Think about the typical family unit. And you have a picture of God. If it's functioning the way that God would have it. You've got the father, you've got the mother, you've got the children. Oneness. It's unnatural to have the mother and the children. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It's okay. I'm just saying originally it wasn't part of the plan, okay? We've had problems since then. Or the father to raise the children on his own. I mean, that, that was not the ideal. Does it happen? Yes, and God blesses, so he'll work through it. But his ideal here was one plus one plus one. It wasn't for the children to rule over the parent either. Now that's a whole other societal issue we have, don't we? We've let down this equation there. So that's why I'm saying there is some evidence here that says that in the Godhead that there's, there is more than just two. Because once you just have two, you have an unnatural family unit. If once you just have two, you have an unnatural series here in the scriptures as well. I can talk to you more about that later if you guys have questions. But notice the plural language here. Us, our, we. When that language is used, that's language after the image of God. Us, our, we. In other words, if we have a decision to make, I say we. Let's talk about it. Let's us talk about it. Not just, hey, that's you and that's, and here I am, right? In chapter three, we get the I or you. And you get Satan coming along and changing the language and him wanting to have put Adam and Eve against God. And so God uses us, our, we versus you and I. Not that you shouldn't use you and I once in a while. But this plurality is, is echoed here. And that's why Jesus talked about oneness. That's why the prayer of Jesus is just an echo of this reality here, that God was God's design. That's the reason why God desires true, faithful oneness at the end of time. And the reason why he does is because he desired it at the beginning of time. He's desired it ever since time has gone on, and he desires it at the end of time. It's not this whole compromising truth oneness we see all around us. We find it's God's true oneness that's been there since the beginning all the way down to the end, and he's going to gather a whole faithful people that are one in truth. And that's what a resurrected Savior is doing right now. 
even to this very day, he's attempting to unite all. He says he's going to bring together everyone. Look at Isaiah 2. Look at Jesus' statements in John, how he says there's going to be one flock. It's his desire to bring everybody together under his words. So even in our natural world, he desires that. He talks about man. Let's make man in our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish, the fowl, the air. And eventually, so God tells them to multiply. That's why we have children. That's really the answer to that first story. We have children because that's the way God made us. Plus, there's the other motives of love and all of that. But that's just, can you really answer the question? Why did I have a child? Was it all a pure motive? If it wasn't, then God can make it a pure thing, can't he? And God said, behold, I've given you every herb seeding seed which is upon the face of all the earth, every tree in which is the fruit of a tree seeding seed. To you it shall be for food. He even intended that oneness to permeate creation where there would be no fear of the animals against man. And so that's what we call this Eden diet that eventually returns, but that's a topic for another time. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the heavens, to every creeper on the earth, which has in it a living soul, that's the modern King James. King James says, where there is life, every green plant is for food, and it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and it was very good. Not just mankind, but how we treated animal kind and how animal kind treated itself. There was oneness. There was no violence. There was no killing. There was no separation. And so then creation ends and we enter into a rest day. Creation enters into that oneness and rest. This was taken at Quamanon Falls, up in Mich- Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Beautiful sunset that Friday night. I remember just standing out there thinking, wow, God, could this be a picture of how you made it in the beginning? I mean, just a reminder at least. It's a lot more perfect back then. I can't imagine what the sunset would look like with a water bubble around our world of some kind. Who knows what it would look like? And if our eyes saw perfectly what we would see. But Sabbath, a day of oneness, the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And then God blessed. So that blessing attends not only these elements of creation. We are not blessed, humanly speaking, or worldwide speaking as creation, apart from God. We are blessed in that connection with the fact that God made us. And the same thing goes with the Sabbath. It's the blessing that he attached to the day that makes it holy, not what we attach to a day that makes it holy. And so the same blessing he pronounced on us and upon animal kind, he pronounces upon this day, if we would truly understand it. Because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. So we get the weekly cycle, Some people ask why that is. It's because that's the way God designed it. We have this day of oneness, and later on, years and years later, you're going to find one who's going to come. He's going to die on what we call Good Friday. He's going to rest on the day of oneness, the Sabbath. He's going to resurrect on what we call the Resurrection Day, or some people call it Easter Sunday. But we're going to find that even Jesus, in his plan of salvation, completes his work for this world, the spiritual recreation of this world, and rests on the day of oneness again. And so by the time we get to the time of Jesus, it's not just a day to look back at creation, it's a day to remember his death. So every week you celebrate, whether you know it or not, 
You celebrate the creation of the world, the recreation through Jesus Christ, and the fact that he's coming again. He's a resurrected Savior. You don't need a special day to do that. You have every single Sabbath to do that. If you choose to be a part of family or other gatherings and point people to Jesus and the resurrection this weekend, hallelujah, do it. But also do it every single day and every single week of your lives. And so what's best in all the creation? You know, I can look at everything in creation, but when my little boy sits across from me or my little girl sits on my knee and just looks me right in the eye, I can tell you what's best in all of creation. It's the ones that he made in his image. His children, his friends, each one of us. And so we find he says that's very good or especially joyful. What's he overjoyed about? Because new life is everywhere. Oneness permeates the world. The deficiencies are gone. The world that was without form is with form. The world that was void of life is with life. The world that was dark is now in light. The world that had water all over it now has the dry land and the beautiful things of nature. All of these deficiencies are right there and are, are taken care of at creation. They're undone. But also, you know what's going to happen? For now, that's the case. But if I read my Bible right in Jeremiah and in Revelation, all those deficiencies come back later on in time. Satan returns the world, in a way he ruins the world, brings all those deficiencies back, and then God has to redo it again later on. It becomes a world without form, void of life, dark, not necessarily water on the land, but dead bodies all over the place in Revelation. And so for now, we find in creation, the weekly cycle's been established, everything needed for life has been established, perfect relationships, perfect friendships have been established, oneness with man has been established because it says they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They had that oneness with God, oneness with each other. Oneness at creation. And I believe each new life brings joy. In Genesis 2, it said the son, or Y-H-W-H, if you want to get into the Hebrew, came and personally involved himself in forming Adam and Eve, mankind. And we'll talk more about that next time. But doesn't he continue to come and form each one of us? This is the second experience I had with a child being born. This is Micah. And I could tell you I was a little nervous because of the first time it all happened. But there I was, just feeling, okay, it'll it'll probably go right, Lord. I'm going to trust you. And there he was. He came out. No complications, no 4 or 5 p.m. all the way down to 9 a.m. thing. It was just perfect. I had some church members watching my little boy, Mitchell, and I, I even got to come home and rest and change and all of that. And there he was, newness of life again. And then Michaela again. And then Michael again. But that oneness that we feel as a family is still there. No matter how many kids we have, no matter how many experiences we go through. And that's the same oneness that he ushered in at creation. Have you experienced it? Oneness with God. Oneness with your fellow man. If you haven't, I encourage you, talk to me sometime. We can see what that looks like in your life. If you have, celebrate it. Say hallelujah. And how can we respond to it? We can praise him. We can choose to keep on serving him, can't we? Can we choose to be recreated every day? To have a resurrection experience every day? I think we can. We can choose to be part of his reestablishment of oneness. He's doing it right now. We're even in this very church right here. We can choose to be a part of oneness. Or we can choose to be a part of undoing it like Satan does.
And I believe we're gonna look, we can all look forward to seeing the creator whom I love, whom we love. That's Jesus Christ. Our closing song is to that effect. When it's all said and done, it'll be just like it was in the beginning. Oneness forever. Our closing song is in your hymn book there. It's also going to be on the screen. Number two, all creatures of our God and King. Number two. Father in heaven, we're thankful that we can come before you. We want to praise you and thank you for making our world in oneness. Give us that oneness in our daily lives. 
with our families, our friends, our relatives, our community, those around us. Help us to share the truth that we know so that they too can have this oneness with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.